All right. We're going on a hike, and I'm not going to preach the whole time like this, teens. Don't worry, all right? But I want to come out because I want us to understand we're going to embark a journey going through a lot of rough circumstances that will get difficult, and are we going to resolve to walk with God through it? Because he's given us everything we need, and I have everything I need in this bag to preach this sermon unless somebody played a practical joke on me. We should be good, all right? So, so let me get out my sword and my notes, and also let me take this off. Hopefully my hair's still okay, and... Uh, and we get into the word of God. I hope you're excited about getting into the great book of Second Peter. How, how many of you have ever done some hiking in some difficult areas? Any, any rock climbers out there? Um, anybody do something that's relatively dangerous where someone would say, you're out of your mind. You're crazy for doing that. You better have your cell phone, right? Right. You better make sure it's charged up if you're going to do I mean, you're crazy. You can't be doing that. I mean, we, some of you have taken on challenges. Um, you're the outdoors type that, that don't kind of pay attention sometimes to how difficult something might be. But had anybody, and maybe somebody's either watching or in the house, but I don't know of anybody that has climbed up Mount Everest. Have you ever seen this thing, Mount Everest? I mean, I, I, you ask yourself, would you climb Everest? I mean, that, that's a, a very interesting um, proposition. And I'll tell you why. It doesn't matter if you're an experienced hider, hiker or a tourist, okay? And you say, tourist, yeah, they do take groups up. But, but one of the things that is assured on a climb to the top of Everest is that there are no promises, there are no problems. Even with a tour group, there are no promises. People die going up to Mount Everest. In fact, it's even said that there are times where people will have to pass bodies going up Mount Everest, especially when they were beginning to try to climb this mountain. You see, if you're going to climb Mount Everest, they say there are some things that you better make sure you have going up, regardless of your experience. It, it's, as if, it's as if there's things that are very important that you better hold on to and you better make sure are with you if you're going up. So I jotted a few down. One is be physically prepared. If you're going up Mount Everest, this isn't like, hey, hun, what do you want to do today? No, no, no. You need to spend some time preparing to go up this mountain. So, there, so there's some resolve even in the beginning to say, if I'm going to do this, i got to get myself physically ready. Second, you got to have the right gear. you got to have what you need, and a computer backpack is not what you're going to need, okay? You're going to need a backpack. You're going to need all the equipment necessary. The third thing, they say keep a steady pace. This is not one of the, woo, and you get running. It's also you can't stop. Keep a slow and steady pace. Pace. Can't be too high, can't be too low. Keep a steady pace. The fourth thing, stay nourished. Keep drinking. Stay hydrated. The air is thin. Keep moving. The, the, the fifth thing, respect warnings. Don't just be like, oh, that, that, that weather won't get us. Respect the warnings. Respect the weather. The, the, the sixth thing, know thyself. Have you ever heard that phrase? Know thyself. Uh, know what your weaknesses are, your strengths are. You gotta play to who you are as a person. But then the seventh, and I found this interesting because it was one of, from one of the most experienced hikers, and you would think those experienced hikers, they would kind of take some chances. But the, they said, whatever you do, regardless of, of the area of the mountain, even if you look around, it's sunny out and stuff, whatever you do, this was interesting, Stay connected to your rope. Stay connected. Do not leave your rope. Hang on to this. Make sure you have it with you. And so if I take this and I, and I attach it to myself, the idea here is you gotta keep this with you. Now, now, if I had, oh, good, I have a clip. Look at that. It's like I knew this illustration was coming. Stay connected. Any, any, any rock climbers, you get the idea and you're going, Chris, do not teach them that. I know this is an illustration, kids. You need a full harness, not you, you attached a little 
keychain clip to your buckle, okay? It's got to hold you, but stay connected. You're going to need to be connected to that rope because you don't know when the wind will come. You don't know when you'll slip. Stay connected to your rope. And then that speaks because there's times in life where if we're not connected to the thing that can hold us strong, we become very vulnerable to the difficulties that come with life in general. You know, the first few people that went up Mount Everest, they, they didn't come back. There were groups that went up and kept trying. There was one group, specifically a group of investors, um, worked with them to get them up the hill, and the two that went ahead actually died and did not come back. Well, they didn't come back, so they figured they died. And there was a group of men that, that were on that team that came down and, and met with the investors, and, and they put a picture behind them on the walls, a big picture of Everest. And, and, and this is what one of the men said. He turned to it, he said, Everest, know this, we walked up once and you got us. We came a second time and you took some of us. But we'll come again and we'll come again. And we will conquer you. And he said this line, for Everest, you can't grow any bigger, but we can you can't get any bigger, but we can. We have the ability to grow in our knowledge. We have the ability to grow in our equipment. We have the ability to grow in our experience. And we have the ability to conquer this challenge before us. And all you can hear resonating through that statement is what? Resolve. We are resolved to do this. Child of God, if you've been called by Jesus to traverse your Everest, if you will, you're gonna need to make sure you're prepared. You've got the right equipment. You keep a steady pace. You make sure you're nourished. Respect the dangers ahead. Know yourself and what typically trips you up and hang on to the rope. Can I ask you, child of God, what's the rope? Hmm. What's the rope? For if we know what the rope is, don't we stand a better chance of hanging on? Of, of finishing the task before us? Of demonstrating that resolve? You know, this was very important to Jesus that his disciples knew how much resolve the Christian walk would take them. He knew there would be difficulties. In fact, he told his disciples, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. And if there was any of those disciples or apostles that needed to hear that, it was our friend Peter. Peter was the definition of staying off pace. He would get too high. I'm coming out on the water. And he would get too low. He would get too high. If everyone forsakes you, I will not. And he'd get too low. I never knew him. And the rooster crowed. Peter Unlike some of the other apostles, Nathaniel, the scholar, Simon, the zealot, the political guy, he had the, the apostle John who laid beside Jesus. He had Thomas. I don't know if we're going to make it. Probably won't. But he had Peter. He had Peter, and Peter, every once in a while, was so quick to resolve to do something, he'd have to pull him aside. It's as almost if Peter and Jesus just had this really unique relationship because he was a little bit of an emotionally passionate leader. Anybody can relate to Peter? Anybody gets a little too excited and maybe a little too defeated? Storms ahead and realizes maybe they shouldn't? You ever feel Jesus sometimes pull you aside with his words and say, hey, hey, keep going. There was a story, 
given in scripture by Mark. The gospel of Mark gets slept on a little bit. It's a great, great gospel. And Mark shares of a time when Jesus turned to those disciples and he said, who do you say I am? Do you remember this from our worship series? Peter, nope. I don't even think he rose his hand. He said, you're the Christ. What an awesome, awesome statement of faith and trust. You are the Christ. And then Jesus, he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests, what? And the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. What's going on here? And he said this very plainly. And Peter, scripture says, took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter, imagine the scene. Uh, Jesus, come here. Need to talk for a second. Oh, you got some guts. Come here, Jesus. Hey, you can't be talking like that. Look at Thomas over there. He's like, and like, if you talk like that, you know, you know what Simon's going to do. He's going to be out there in the streets. You can't talk like this. I'm making this up. It doesn't say that in scripture. But you can imagine Peter's going, what are you doing? You can't be talking about you dying. We're all depending on you. But turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter. Anybody in leadership knows these moments where, where somebody kind of is kind of out of line and they say something and you, the leader, whether it's a mom, dad, worker, um, employer, employee relationship, uh, business office, whatever, you see that person says this and you see the reaction of everybody in the room kind of like, what are you going to do with this? So it says, Jesus looked at the other disciples, saw how they reacted to Peter kind of going, Jesus, you can't be talking like that. And Jesus kind of gets firm. He gets real firm. In fact, it, it, he gets real confrontational. And he says, get behind me, Satan. That, that's, that's Peter, Jesus. No, that you're talking like Satan would talk. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You're not focused where you need to be. You're living life for what you see and not the things of God. And he's real stern about it. And, and have, have you ever seen one of these moments? Uh, young people watching or, or, or listening. You know when like maybe sometimes dad's like mad at your older brother and then somehow you became part of the conversation? You know, you can't be doing that. All right, and listen, this is for all of you. Oh, whoa, 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 we did nothing. Jesus is doing this kind of thing. He, he, he's talking to Peter. He goes, he sees everybody's reaction and he says, listen, he turns to the crowd. I'm gonna say this to all of you. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What? Yeah, 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 yeah. If you're gonna follow me, this isn't one of those, oh, I have a cross to bear. This is take up your cross and follow me. What is he saying? This is a death march. This whole thing I got going on is a death march. You were grabbing our cross and we're going to die because nobody would confuse grabbing a Roman cross and not death. If you want to follow after Jesus, get prepared to sacrifice. For whoever would save his life is going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. We are so in the business of trying to save our life. Jesus says those who sacrifice their life, those who say I'm all in, those who take up their cross and follow me. He goes, I note that. He says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the son of man be ashamed when he comes in glory of his father with the holy angels. I wrote in my notes, I think Jesus is making something very clear. He wants to see resolve in his kids. He wants to see that child of God who says, 
going to be rough. It could get pretty scary along the way. But you know what? I'm in. Let's go. You're in? Yeah. Then let's go. This book of 2 Peter is a call to a church that I truly believe is growing tired. They've been under Nero's leadership now. We've been through 1 Peter, but he's persecuting them. He's killing their loved ones. Many of them have lost people, and this church is growing tired. I am sure doubt is starting to set in if they'll ever get out of this rulership and leadership. I'm sure some struggle is building within them, and it's as if Peter understands they need to be pulled aside like Jesus pulled me aside and said, Peter, you know this is not just the ride of comfort. Follow me. Build resolve. And Peter writes this glorious book of scripture, teaching them about what they can hang on to, showing them what they should grow in, guarding them from error that could come their way. But most specifically, building their resolve. And he wants to multiply something to them. And that's where we go today into this awesome book of Peter approaching a group of people that need resolve. Why? Because life has gotten so difficult. Anybody there today? You're tired. You really don't need another try-hard Christian message, do you? You actually are hanging on a little bit. I believe God directed you to either tune in or come in. Because this message about resolve today, you will find, has very little to do with you and a whole lot to do with him. Amen? Heavenly Father, take us to your word and may we grow in it. Lord, we're going to investigate some verses in this awesome book of 2 Peter, inspired by you, penned by an author who understood a little something about getting emotionally high and emotionally low who understood a little something about making commitments to you, Jesus, and then not being able to follow through, who understood a little something about feeling like they're on the mountaintop with God and then feeling like they're all alone. This guy understands that. And he writes to this church that is feeling all those emotions. And he says, hey, there's something we gotta hold on to. Lord, may we hold on to it today too. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, as we start the new year, I want to bring up an image that we're all familiar with in just a second. And it's an image that, you know, um, we see a lot in our lives and we're all going to resonate with this unless, unless maybe you are like in denial, in denial of uh, modern technology in every level, okay? But I'm going to bring something up and I'm going to ask a question based on it. And my question is going to be this, before I show you the image... I'm going to ask you the question, which one best represents you? Are you ready? Now, if you're listening, you're going to have to go find an image some way if you can't see it, but which one represents you as we start 2022? Which one's you? <laughs> now, if you can't see it, we have uh, three batteries, clearly cell phone batteries or computer batteries. One's green, one's yellow, and one's red. Which one best represents you right now as you start the new year? Now, this is one of the most intelligent crowds you'll ever find. This is also a very cognitive crowd, and you're all thinking, where's he going with this? So, as you're tracking with me, um, are you beginning to categorize them? Like, like, in what sense? In what sense does that make? So let me help you. Physically, where are you at, you think? Going into 22, physically. If, you were up, if, if God's calling you to a challenge this year, where are you at physically to handle the challenge? Isn't that interesting? Especially when we're going through a time of a lot of physical challenges, right? Somebody might be watching today feeling very sick on a couch, and they're like, red. In fact, take the red away. No, you're not dead. If you're watching, you got a purpose, okay? But you're red. Some of you are yellow. 
How are you doing on nourishment? Where, where would you put yourself there? How about feeling equipped for a challenge ahead? How, how equipped do you feel? Where, where would you put your bars on how equipped you are spiritually to handle a challenge? Where would you put yourself on that bar mentally? Man, I'm worn out. I'm shot. College student, as you're about to enter into the next semester, if you're already redlining, right, that, that's a little concerning, isn't it? Isn't that a little concerning if you're going into the year that way, right? How about your self-awareness? Know thyself, right? How about your self-awareness? You know, they say with all leaders, let's just make it all people, everybody has a blind spot. You ever drive in a car and you know there's a blind spot? Everybody's walking around with a blind spot. They really don't know it's one of their weaknesses, but if you asked everyone in their family, you go, is that dad's weakness? Oh, yeah, totally, that's dad. Or they'll say at work, yeah, we know he doesn't see that in himself. Where are you at in that area? Let me do this. Where are you at in your trust with God? Which is it? Now, when you see those images, the green one, doesn't that feel good? Oh, yeah, I'm in good shape. In fact, if you start your day and you look down at your cell phone and you see that, you go, we're going to have a good day. I remembered to charge it last night, right? You start on yellow, you're going to be hunting things all day long. You know you're going to be hunting chargers all day long. You start on red and get in the car and can't find a charger. It's got to be a kid's fault. You can have a real struggle of a day because you know that navigation nav just sucks the life out of that thing, right? What do you need to recharge? I need, I need power. I need to get near a power plug. I need to recharge with power. And Peter knows that. And he comes right into a church that I'm gonna argue is either red or yellow. Take your pick. He knows that's where they're at. And any, any, any real good-hearted, compassionate people out there, do you have a friend that you know is actually at red? You can listen in if you're at green. And he says this, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. He begins the second letter with his double name. Simon is Hebrew name, and Peter, the name Jesus gave him. Cephas or Rocky Peter. It's odd for a New Testament epistle to begin with a double name, many scholars would argue. So there seems to be some intent to this. And, and, and I loved a note one thorough thinker said. They said, it's as if Peter wants to start out his book. If you have your journals with today, you can do this. Grow in grace. For Peter went from Simon, I'll fight him right now. Peter, put your knife down. Oh. To Peter, the gentle pastoral heart that wrote the first book comes back with Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle. I want you to note something. He wants you to know first, I'm a servant of God. Then you can bring up my title. The first thing that's important to me, what's preeminent to me is I'm a servant. In fact, you can write in your notes, bond servant, which means I'm a voluntary servant. I choose to serve and I'm an apostle. Whoa, apostle, yeah. I'm one of the apostles. It's speaking towards his authority to write what he's about to write. I am a witness of Jesus Christ. So Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. How many of you, if I came up to you and said, hey, would it be great to be an apostle? Would go, yeah, I mean, I think so. And how many of you, if I said, hey, would it be great to be apostle? Be like, oh my word, I've thought that my whole life. Like if I was on earth during the time Jesus, the Messiah, came and walked and I had a chance to be one of his boys, oh my goodness, what would that have been like? Peter knew what it was like. In fact, Peter even had an extremely intimate relationship with Jesus. So I wrote down a few things that I think are awesome about being an apostle. One, you were chosen by Jesus. Yeah, Ch selected, chosen. He walked up to the boat, hey, Simon, and called him specifically. 
He didn't know of Jesus. He knew Jesus. Jesus called him and he was chosen. You know what that means when you're chosen by Jesus? He made all sorts of commitments to them. And one of the things he said is, I'm never going to leave you. Which means even when Simon was an idiot, let's show him some grace, we would have done it too, Jesus would forgive him. What? Yeah, Jesus was forgiving. And Jesus forgave Simon. Jesus showed Simon mercy. He was privileged. Oh, Peter knew what it was like to have Jesus daily walk beside you, provide for your physical needs, your spiritual needs. He supplied all their needs. I mean, the guy made food double. I mean, you know what it's like. You ever see, you ever see somebody hanging around with somebody important? It makes them feel a little bit taller, right? I mean, ooh, I'm, I'm with that person. Imagine being around the guy who fed 5,000 people. Yeah, the other day we were out of food, so we were like giving it out, 5,000. I mean, that'd feel good. You ever, ever see like college guys, you're infamous for this, and I did it too, so no judgment here. But when you're by yourself, you go into McDonald's or something, you're like, can I have a burger, but, you know, all this thing. You're kind of a little bit mousy, just making sure you get what you want. Thank you, have a good day. You come in with your boys, you think you own the restaurant. Hey, yo, I'm getting a Big Mac. And all the family's like, let's leave, let's leave. The college guys are here. Why? Because you're with all your guys, right? And, and so imagine walking around with Jesus. He was famous. Thousands of people followed Jesus. And he was privileged to have him daily by his side. He was commissioned by Jesus. He was given purpose and significance. In fact, at one point, Jesus said, Simon, Peter, feed my sheep. I'm going to use you. And thus, the book of First and Second Peter was part of it. He was empowered Peter was given the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and had the ability to heal people. He was empowered by God. He saw the difference. Oh my word. I've been empowered and given gifts as an apostle. He had the sign gifts. He had the empowerment of Jesus Christ even after he was resurrected. And on top of that, he was constantly assured. Imagine walking around with the assurance that he had. Yeah, Jesus died. He rose again. I touch him. Even Thomas is like, what? We saw it. He talked to us. He rose again. He walked through walls. And they all went and were martyred and even killed for this. They were that resolved based on being an apostle. What a privileged position. Jesus, are we safe? Yes. Jesus, are, are we okay? Yeah. Jesus, I'm sorry we, we weren't praying. You're forgiven. Jesus, pull me up out of the water. I've fallen in. Here's my hand. Peter lived that, and he turns to this church and says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, pumped up brakes. To those who have obtained... You can circle that word in your journal and write, apart from personal effort. That's the idea behind the word. To those who have been given something apart from personal effort. They've been given a faith, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's a gift of God. Apart from personal effort, you have obtained Equal standing with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He went from, yeah, me and Jesus, to he brought the church into it. So now the church has equal standing. You're telling me, Peter, that you want the church that is defeated. Their batteries are low. They're maybe on red or yellow to know that they have been chosen. They have been privileged. They have been commissioned. They have been empowered. And they have been assured. They're on equal standing. Wow, Peter, you're charging me up. He's like, I know. And then he says this, may grace and peace be added. <laughs> no, not added, multiplied. If you're only in first grade, unless you're one of those sharp kids that's way ahead of everyone, you know multiplied is gonna go bigger than add. And he said, may grace and peace, he pulled out those two words. What do they mean? What do they mean? Grace. It's like mercy, right? It's like, um, it's like you deserve something, but um, 
God doesn't do it to you. That's like, you know, grace. No, that's mercy. And mercy's awesome. Grace is even more amazing in my opinion. Because grace is you deserved it and you were given it anyway. You deserve to not get it. You deserve to be punished. And instead, you are given a gift anyway. Grace is unmerited favor. You did nothing to deserve this. And it was granted to you anyway. May grace favor to someone who doesn't deserve it. And peace, it, it carries the idea of bonding together. Um, any craftsmen out there? Um, you build joints, all right? Sometimes they have names for the different joints. And you bond them together. That's the idea, but you could even take it and break a piece of wood and put it back together, if you will, with glue and all these things. Almost the idea of binding back together or putting back together what is broken. So favor who doesn't deserve it and putting back together things that were broken is multiplied to you. Now, the idea of multiplied here is more than just a math equation, if you will, it means to make full, to increase, to become greater, to multiply and multiply and multiply. How? How is this done? How is this done? Peter tells us, in the knowledge of God. Oh, so grace and peace is multiplied to me in what I know about God or that I know there's a God. No, no, this knowledge is deeper than that, that you know there's a God. This is the knowledge that knows God, that knows about him. It's a, a full knowledge, you could argue, from the original word. It means exact, accurate, thorough are the words you wanna write down next to that word. That you have an accurate knowledge of God. That you have a fuller understanding of knowledge. That's how grace and peace is multiplied to you. So I pull up my batteries. And I look at this equation, and I see the knowledge of God equals grace and peace being multiplied to you. So it almost seems like if I reverse it, the lack of knowledge of God might bring condemnation and fear and anxiety to me. How many have experienced that? The more I know who God is, how God works, how God acts, and what God has said, the more grace, like an ingredient, and peace, like an ingredient, are added to me, multiplied to me. It's as if Peter's saying, the more you put God's word in you, it's like a seed and it's multiplying inside of you. It's nourishing you. And the more you know God, the more grace and the more peace, note that grace is before peace. God moved first and brought you in peace with God. While you were yet a sinner, he died for you. How do I activate this? Chris, I'm liking this abstract idea of the battery recharging it, putting it towards my spiritual walk and stuff, but how do I activate this? Can we get concrete? Why don't we? Because Peter gives us three resources that have been given to us so that we might recharge. We're talking about power packs? Yeah. Let's talk about the power pack. Come on, here we go. He says this, his divine power, here's the first one, his divine power has granted, Duremai. Or in other words, in the original language, magnified the gift, or the gift has of such magnitude that it's been granted to us. He has granted his, his, his power, his divine power. I have the divine. He has granted access to his divine power to us to do all things that pertain to life and godliness. You mean to tell me I've been given everything I need? I'm holding the backpack up. I've been given everything I need to live the Christian life? You're telling me that I've been given everything Pastor Chris has been given? Yep. You're telling me, even Pastor Doug, even Pastor Doug. <gasps> you mean I've been given everything I need for life and godliness? Like, like there's somebody else that got it and I didn't get? No, you've been given everything you need. From the time Peter wrote to the time now, you've been given it through faith. It's time to charge. Okay, so I get the divine power. What's the second one? Through the knowledge. Oh, so the more I understand the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. And then the third one, so we got the power, the knowledge, and then he has granted to us what? Specifically, 
He says this, by which he's granted us the great and precious promises. There's not many things I call precious in my life. Oh, that's precious. Something very important to me, right? Now, if you're a grandmother out there, you probably got a picture of a little girl's face right now. <gasps> She's so precious. Unless she doesn't get what she wants. <laughs> right? How about the little boys? Oh, they're so precious while they're sleeping. Right? Right? My wife and I concluded God made them cute at night so we wouldn't strangle them during the day. <laughs> Say that in jest. They are so cute when they're sleeping. Peter says, you want to know what's precious to me? What? God's promises. Because I gain a knowledge of God through his promises. Child of God, how nursed are you in his promises? How many promises of God do you have written on your heart? How much have you been diving into the promises of God? Because Peter seems to indicate that it's the promises of God you need when you look like this. What? You need the promises of God. No, I need to try hard. You need the promises of God. Well, I, I just need to get through this and then I'll be fine. No, you need the promises of God. It's as if Peter says, look in that backpack. What, what, what you got? Oh, there it is, there it is. Grab it, grab it. You've got the power pack. You've been given the divine power through the knowledge. Here's the conduit. The knowledge of God is the conduit. Come on, plug that in, okay? I'm listening, Peter. Give me a chance here, okay? Peter's like, I have no idea what you're using right now, but it's good. It's a computer. You've been given the divine power. You've been given the conduit, the knowledge of God. Plug in the promises. What? You plug in the promises. Because you're dying out there, and the reason you're dying is you gotta get plugged in. And access the divine power that's available to you so that you can recharge. And oh, it's so great to see that charge start back up. Peter says, you know what? When you plug in, this is what's so great. So that through them, through those promises flowing into you, become partakers of the divine nature. You get an understanding of who God is, how he works, and what he's doing to navigate that Everest in your life. And you've escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of the sinful desire. It's all around you. But you've escaped it because you've grabbed hold of the promises. And child of God, if you're here today looking back on this passage, you realize that he is including all the Gentile Christians of that time period and amongst who he was writing with the Jewish audience, but he's also including us in the 21st century. And we look back and we look at the relationship that Peter had with Jesus, that he had with the church, and we're seeing that we also have been chosen we also have a privileged relationship. We have been given a commission. We have been empowered and we have been assured. Peter's saying, you're on equal standing. You've been given everything I was given. Well, how do I access it? Through the knowledge of God. And, and what specifically? His promises. Have you ever had to make a promise to a little kid? Where they're going, dad, promise. And you answer with like, your voice inflection has a lot to do with whether they're listening, right? Dad, promise, okay. No, seriously. Okay, I, I, I don't know if I can prom promise that. Okay, I promise. And then they double back. You promise? I promise. Pro yes, yes, I promise. You're like, I hope I can promise. Yes. But you almost have to say that, that yes, I promise, okay, okay. That has always been impactful to me, especially when it comes to the promises of God. Because there's this little nugget verse in 2 Corinthians written from Paul. And he says this. 
when traversing the Everests of your life. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. Isn't that great? And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. Jesus, can I trust you? Yes. Okay, you sure? Yes. Very little hesitation in your voice. Yeah, it's a resounding yes. Will you be with me my whole life? Yes. Okay, all right. I don't feel like I need to ask again. Yes. All of God's promises are yes. And what that excites me, and why that excites me, is that means I can really hold on to these promises while I'm going up the Everest God's called me to, whether it's a physical illness, whether it's a a mental trial, whether it's anxiety, whether it's just absolute fear, whether it's dwelling on things I shouldn't. I have a friend in Christ who calls it stinking thinking instead of what is pure, true, and noble. I can hold on to these things. And, and, and that takes a lot less work from my end, and it puts all the work on Christ's end. Christ, can you handle all of my junk? Yes! Whoa. That was a resounding yes. Yes! I can. Any skiers in the room? Any skiers watching on TV? Now, now, What's interesting about skiing is there's many different lifts to go up the hill, but aren't you glad they're there? How many of you go out here to Championship Hill if you're local or you have a hill in your town and you climb up that thing two or three times and go, you know what? Hot chocolate sounds good, right? Because the climb sometimes isn't worth the three seconds down, right? But they created these things called lifts, More specifically, one started in the U.S. in 1934, but it was called a rope lift. Have you seen these? And a rope lift was along the ground. The problem with these rope lifts is you probably should have a little experience before grabbing on. For I'm kind of worried about the girl you're looking at in the picture. I'm not sure she's going to last. Because one of the things you're supposed to do and they're actually coming back right now because of snowboards, is you grab hold behind you and in front of you, all right? Now, stop judging me. I'm not Mr. Experienced Skier, okay? But you could argue that this, I think I'm looking at the girl, isn't probably gonna do it, guys, okay? Probably not gonna do it. And as she goes up the hill, you know, she's got her feet out, so they're gonna get wider, right? And then bad things happen to really good people, right? You've all seen this, right? Right? And then some are like plowing, right? Like that's not gonna go well, right? But if you keep it in the trough, if you case sturdy, you can really fly up these. And you'll see even snowboarders, they're just like kind of cruising up the mountain, you know? They're just kind of rolling along. So I'm a little worried for her, but they built these rope toes and they were powered, right? They were powered and they just pull up the hill. Now, technology has gotten a lot better so they can stop and stuff. But back in the beginning, I mean, those babies just kept pulling whether you were halfway on, on, or whatever, right? If you were, if you were around the 30s and 40s, you fall off that thing. You're like, get back on! But it was rough. And you'd see people like grabbing, falling. But let's use this rope as the promises of God for a minute. Let's just let that keep ascending into eternity. All right, let's do this for a minute. Because when do you need the promises of God the most? Sometimes when you're on red and yellow. Sometimes you need the promises on God on green. Like, slow down there, buddy. You're not that great, right? But if you're here today, and when I started that slide, you said, put me on red, you really need to hold on to these promises. So what I've done, in case some of you are already going, all right, today when I get home, I'm going to look up some promises of God. One of the things I've done is I'm going to give you my top five that have been with me since I climbed onto this rope at the age of six after evening service. Now, there's been times where, I'll be honest with you, I've let go of some of the rope at times, it feels. 
There's been times where I've held on super tight. But there's been some promises that have been extra special to me. And I'm gonna give you the promise and then you know what I'm gonna do just for fun? I'm gonna season some grace and peace multiplying to you. Here's the first one. Who needs this promise today? The promise of presence. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5. You've been chosen, child of God, and I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let, let me help you. If you've been around church so long and that verse is just so easy, you're like, uh, 101, let me change it. I will sometimes leave you and forsake you. What if it said that? Anybody be in this room today? Not me. Because I'm anchoring down on a promise maker and a promise keeper. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That means when I'm going up, I can hang on to this promise when I go, ooh, look at that. He's still there. I shouldn't have gone away. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Let me multiply some grace to you. In fact, if you walk away, I'll forgive you, for I'm faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Not only will I forgive you, I will treat you like you didn't do it. What? Grab on. I'm in. You'll never leave me or forsake me? Let me multiply some peace. Because grace before peace. Peace, I will help you. One of his promises is in Isaiah 41.10. I will uphold you with my right hand. You mean when I get sidetracked, sometimes he'll grab me back and uphold me and pull me. When I can't go, he'll, he'll, he'll you know I mean, I'm getting a little bit low and he'll, he'll pull me up because the, the power's going. This is great. Here's a second promise. I love this one. The promise of provision. My God will supply all your needs according to whose riches? His riches in Christ Jesus. He'll supply all your needs. Think about that, that God is going to be taking care of my needs all along life's journey. Let me multiply some grace. There'll be times in my life where I make decisions or have difficulties or things just come my way that break my heart. He'll continue to supply for my needs. You say, well, I pray for things and, and I don't get, are you, are you asking God right now to make you happy or make you holy? Because when we call on the Lord, he is interested in making us holy. And he says, I'm going to supply for your needs. Think about the stress that takes off our life when life is full of, you better have this for retirement, or you better have this. And if you don't have this, or what if in one year you don't have that, then you can't have this. I'm going to be there the whole time. I will supply your needs. You've been spending so much of your life trying to supply your own needs. You're full of worry and stress. Would you like some grace and peace? I'll comfort you along the way while I supply your needs. Along the way, and this is one of my favorite promises, that God will be praying for me. Jesus says, I intercede for you. Romans 8, 34, I have an intercessor, which means Jesus is praying for Chris. He's praying for you, child of God. It changed my prayer life. God, as I'm going through this, this is kind of, it's kind of buckling me a little bit. And you're pulling me along, but Jesus, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? I'm really struggling with this. I need the prayer and the power today. I'll supply all your needs. He just keeps pumping grace and peace to me. Here's a third promise I need. The promise of purpose. How many of you have anchored down on and held on to this one? Uh, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good. For those who are called according to his purpose, all things work together for the good. God is going to work this out in his glory and in his pathway for the good. That means this promise just keeps going regardless of whether I believe it or not. Because some people, they go on life's journey and they fall off. Sometimes it's tragedy or difficulty and they're there and they're struggling along the side and the rest of the children of God are going by them. God's got a plan for you. 
God can use this. You got to hold on to his promises. You just got to hold on. Because the rope keeps going. The promises keep going regardless of whether you're holding on to them because these promises are eternal and they just keep going. And it's as if those promises are going by and Peter's going, child of God, you're running out of energy. Grab on, okay? And, he pulled, and, he, and sometimes it's like, okay, I'm just gonna hold on no matter what because I'm gonna work this out for, for the good. So just hold on. He promises power. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That's when, when we're looking up the hill, we're like, oh boy, oh boy, it's getting higher. I'm with you. Just keep holding on. You mean to tell me the resolve of the Christian life has a lot less to do about my strength and a whole lot more to do with whether I'm holding on? Yeah, hold on. Well, I can do that. Yeah, grab and hold on and watch grace and peace be multiplied. Not only does he empower you, he gives you the strength to do all things through Christ. He, he gives you that peace, that renewal, that if you wait on him, just wait. I don't see an answer. Just wait. But God, I don't see an answer. Just wait. God, I don't see an answer. Oh, there's the answer. I knew you would come through. They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. The promises keep going. They keep going. One more, the promise of permanency. Who's tired of asking Jesus into their heart every evangelistic rally? Who's tired of listening to the voice of fear? Who's tired? Who wants to make sure that they're standing on the promise of God? This is the verse that anchored down eternal security for me as about a 13-year-old boy who wanted to make sure I wasn't going to hell, and that's a good thing to make sure of. I read this verse. In fact, my youth leader showed it to me. Jesus talking about his sheep said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Knowing another promise that nothing's impossible with God, it is great to hear my savior say, Nobody's snatching you out of my hand. Let me add some peace. The Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation, Scripture says he seals you for preparation, Ephesians 4.30. It's as if he puts you in the envelope of your life and he goes, here, let me see that. You're in Christ now. Slurp, sealed. And his power protects you. That's grace and peace being multiplied to you. So let me encourage you. During this series, hold on to the promises of God. You say, I, I've, I've leaned into some promises and I feel like God really hasn't answered them. I want you to remind you something. His promises are both temporary and eternal. When Peter wrote 2 Peter, he leaned on a promise like Jesus saying, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Did Jesus keep that promise? He left. He sent the Holy Spirit, and Peter's with him today. You gotta remember, when God writes his promises, this is the time of 2 Peter. This might be the time of your life. God wrote the promises of scripture from eternity speaking. So when God said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, we come up to your life, and I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And that promise is still just as true 1,000 years from now as it was when you were given it on earth. I'm not going anywhere. Ask Peter today, if you could, if Jesus has ever left him or forsaken him. Those promises of God keep going. Am I holding on? This week, you may see a symbol that looks like this. Can I encourage you, every time you see it, let's use it metaphorically, church. Let's use it to ask ourselves, Am I plugged in? Am I plugging in? If you're watching today, if you're with us today, and you say, Chris, I am like that. I don't even have a red. It's not even there. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm spiritually dead if you, wanna, if you wanna be honest. I'm not even sure why I turned this on and I can't even believe I'm still listening. Maybe you're sitting here today because somebody asked you to come and you thought, why not? 
Do you know that God offers the same promises that were given to that apostle Peter who walked right next to Jesus to you if you ask him as your personal savior? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But what if I'm a failure? He's applied his righteousness to you. But what if I mess up? His grace is sufficient for you. What if I, what if I like, do wrong things for like a year or maybe two even years? Rope will keep going. Because nothing can separate you from the love of Christ once you know him as your personal savior. Hold on to the promises. And so, over the next seven days, this is our resolve series, and we're resolving to do something for seven days, and that's really all we can handle. We're not doing something for the year, but throughout the series, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you three options that every time you see a dying battery this week, you think about. Here's your first one. When you see something dying, child of God, I want you to plug in a promise. If you see it dying, I want you to plug in a promise of a song. Choose a song. Yeah, there's some songs I really like. Do an anthem for the week of the promises of God. And, and let it remind you, when your phone's dying, have I downloaded a song? All right, ask mom for permission first. But if I gotten a song, or if I put a song on in my car that will just remind me of the promises, I really love Maverick City's faithfulness to me. Great song to just let worship in your car, all right? You got a million things you can listen to on the way to work, try that one out, his promise is great as your faithfulness to me. I like Sanctus Reels, hold on. It's great, hold on to the promises, hold on to the promises, I can just picture it. Jesus is alive, so hold tight, the song says. I, I, like, I like promises by I Am They. If you're familiar with that band, they got a great song about um, every promise that you give to me, I can count on. And they talk about the yes and amen. Great song to just meditate on. That might be your challenge. There's even a Tony Max song called Promise Land. If you're familiar with this story, his 21-year-old son passed away suddenly, and he's been grieving, and he talks about looking for his promised land in the middle of the desert he's living in in grief. And if you're struggling with grief, he's just talking about the tragic death of a child, and not only that, about where he finds his promised land, and it's neat to hear him find who his promised land is at the end of the song, and that's in Jesus. Or maybe, maybe you're just like, standing on the promises of Christ my Lord, whatever, okay, whatever you wanna use, get a song that you can resonate with. That's one challenge. Here's a second challenge, find, plug in a promise verse. I had a brother in Christ, he knew I was gonna be preaching about promises, he dropped this on my desk. He said, have you seen these little promises of God for every need? They're, they're, they're different subjects and, and topics that they've broken down promises. When you're in need of fellowship or courage or patience, promises of God when you're going through sickness, financial struggles, marital things, Bible promises of his faith, love, feelings when you're discouraged, weary, promises you can plug in. And in this Google generation, you don't even really need this book. You can plug in promises for the different aspects. That might be one of the challenges you choose or plug in a promise prayer. When I'm going through different struggles, if you have anxiety or fear, one of the best things you can do is open the book of Psalms and pray those Psalms. Psalms is an incredible place to go if you struggle with anxiety because the opposite of worry is worship. And David, you can see worried and worshiped. Plug in the knowledge of God, Psalm 103. You'll learn everything you need to know about him. Plug in the grieving and loss, Psalms 23, 27. Plug in a prayer. This week, maybe resolve to take one of these challenges. I can assure you, standing on his promises is one of the greatest rejuvenators you could have for your spiritual life. How do I know? Bible tells me so. Heavenly Father, may we hold on to your promises. Lord, thank you for providing the power we need to ascend the hill. For in our own strength, it's so exhausting. It's so good to know that when we hold on to your promises, it pulls us when we're weak. It refocuses us when we get off course. It gives us direction when we wonder what to do next. It gives us activity when we're waiting. We're holding on to your promises. And as we hold on, that rope just keeps pulling. 
and keeps pulling and will one day pull us all the way into glory. But that won't stop there for your promises are eternal and we can count on them. And Lord, whatever road you've called us to, even if it's the road less traveled, it's not the road that maybe our neighbor was called to or even a, a friend or a loved one, but it's the road you've called us to. As we traverse it, may we hold on to your promises and in doing so, demonstrate the resolve that you desire from your children. Father, would you please, in your grace, direct each child who takes a challenge this week to the promise they need to hold on to during whatever they're facing today. We pray this in your name. Amen.